It's time for Security Now. Steve Gibson is here, the explainer-in-chief, and he's going to talk about NFC chips. They're in many new smartphones, but not Apple's iPhone. What is it? How does it work? And what are the security implications? Near-field communications next on Security Now. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for security now is provided by the new Winamp for Android, featuring wireless sync and one-click iTunes import. Now with free daily music downloads and full-length CD listening parties. Download it for free at winamp.com slash android. Video bandwidth for security now is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson. Episode 372, recorded October 3rd, 2012. Near Field Communication. Security Now is brought to you by Carbonite Online Backup. Automatic, continuous, unlimited backup for your computer files. Just $59 a year. Try it free at Carbonite.com and use the offer code SECURITYNOW to get two bonus months with purchase. It's time for Security Now, the show that protects you and your loved ones online with our man, Steve Gibson, our man on the net, Steve Explainer-in-Chief and uh, guy at GRC.com who gives us so much great stuff. Hi, Steve. Hey, Leo. Great to be with you again, as always. See you. We've been talking before the show about sci-fi, our favorite topic, and coffee. Yep. Movies, debates, politics. politics. What are, what, it's yep. like, this is all our favorite stuff. Red yeah, wine, really? politics, coffee, and movies. Sci-fi. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Every That's all you need in life. And then you throw in a little security now and you're set. You got the day covered. <laughs> so uh, w- last week you said you might talk about uh, NFC today. Are, are, is that yes. our topic? Of that the is our topic. I have I've been reading about it since then. Actually, I'd started started a little bit before then also. Uh, I've completely satisfied all of my curiosity. Oh. I know everything I need to know about it for now. And by the end of this podcast, I imagine that all of our listeners will feel the same. So it's interesting. We'll, we'll set it relative to the other sort of environmentally competing technologies there's of course wi-fi bluetooth rfid even irda kind of um and here's you know nfc so how does that fit in to this spectrum of of connections and communications between our devices um what are its problems what are its promises uh i mean i have to say now that i have really come up to speed and get a good sense for where we are at this moment, I appreciate more than I did a week ago how odd it is that it wasn't part of iPhone 5. Oh, interesting. Because hmm. it, in the industry, the rest of the cellular phone industry has left Apple behind in NFC. I mean, virtually all the other phones have near-field communications, and this makes the iPhone conspicuous in not having it. Now, it's true that we're at the early stage of the adoption curve and people have various theories about why apple chose not to do this like that it's hard to do radio 
in a in a metal case, except, well, the phone is a radio. Right. So I don't buy that. Um, you know, and uh, I've also read someone saying, well, Apple doesn't want to be, you know, the leader in this. They would rather wait till things settle down and, and not be a, a first mover. Uh, it's like, well, OK, maybe I, I just don't really get it. But um, at the end of this podcast, we will all know what it is um, and sort of have that whole question mark um, resolved for the time being. And then, then from then on, we'll just be tracking are the mistakes that everyone makes in implementation. And in fact, I'm going to kick off with that because our old friend Charlie Miller, um, who we know as, you know, the great pwn to own multiple time winner, and he wrote the Hacking the Mac OS X book, uh, he gave a presentation on hacking near field communications at this most recent Black Hat 2012 conference a few months back. Um, so, that's uh, oh, and I just tweeted by the way for anyone who's interested. I just tweeted a link to his presentation's PDF. So for anyone who wants to delve deeper than I'm going to, that's a great place to look at at hacking near field from that end. And we have very little news, a little bit of news, which I'll wait until uh, we get started. All right, um, all right, yeah. And then so, and then NFC, the subject yes, of the day, exactly. Uh, and I will be interested in the security issues because if it well, I mean that's if if we're going to start using it for payment, that's going to be a big huh. issue. Yes, baby. Let's talk before we uh, do that uh, though about Carbonite dot com backup is important. We talk about security, but you know, uh, let's not forget a good backup is the best defense against being hacked because then you wipe your drive and you've got your data and you restore it and you're back good to go as quickly as possible. And that's why Carbonite. Is, should really be part of your security strategy, search strategy, certainly part of your data security strategy. If you don't have, well, in my opinion, three copies of everything, an original and two backups, two different forms of media, and one of them off-site, that's three, two, one backup, then you don't have a good backup. Think about it. What would you do if, if you lost everything? What if there were a fire in your place and the backups burned along with the originals? Then what would you do? That's what disaster planning means. Carbonite is a great solution because it's cloud storage. It's automatic backup. Whenever, uh, As long as you've got Carbonite installed, whenever you're online, it's backing up continuously without any intervention on your part. Now, it's nice. It's polite. Nice is actually the technical term. It's a nice process. It doesn't take over your computer. It, it, if it notices you're busy or using the Internet, it just backs off. So it says, oh, after you, after you. But there are lots of times when your system is idle and online and it can back up. And once that initial backup is done, it just takes a second or two to keep you up to date. And that's kind of nice. Carbonite's also cloud storage. All that data is, is not locked up at Carbonite. It's available to you when you log into your Carbonite account uh, or use their free uh, smartphone and tablet apps. Now, it uses SSL for the transmission. But if you want, you can use Trust No One Encryption. Yours, your, you've got the password. Now, that does limit some things that you can do, obviously. As Steve and I have talked about in the past, when you use TNO encryption on your data, that means there's other things you can't do. But uh, it's if privacy is paramount, this is a TNO solution. Uh, and boy, is it affordable. Less than 5 bucks a month for an entire computer. $59 a year. So here's the deal. I want you to try it. Mac or PC, they do have versions of Carbonite for small business, for multiple computers, external drives, and all of that. But the basic plan, $59 a year. 
Try it free for two weeks. Use the offer code SECURITY now. When you buy, you'll get 14 months of the price of 12, two free months. That's a good deal. All I ask is you give it a try. It should be part of your backup process one way or the other. This three, two, one backup. And I think Carbonite's a great way to do it. Carbonite.com. And our offer code is security. Now, please use that so Steve gets a credit. Carbonite.com. All right. Let's do the news so, before we get to NFC. Well, there wasn't much that happened. As we know, some weeks are so busy we don't have a chance to, to talk about anything else. Um, and every so often we run across a week where almost nothing happened, which is, um, I guess, from a security standpoint, probably a good thing. Um, we talked last week about the expectation that the NIST, the National Institute for, no, I forgot. Standards and <laughs> standards standards time? Technology. Techno standards and technology? Anyway, <laughs> NIST. I'm sure the chat room will tell are. us momentarily. Yes, the National whoever, Institute yeah. of Standards and Technology. That's right. Uh, that they were on the verge of choosing the the hash from among the final uh, winnowed down contenders. And they did that yesterday on October 2nd. They did not choose Bruce Schneier's skein, as I was sort of just hoping they would because I, I know and like Bruce. Um, however, they did, they did choose one uh, that was co-designed by someone we know of. Um, because he was also the co-designer of Rheindahl, which is the, which was, the, you know, the uh, chosen to be the next generation AES, the Advanced Encryption Standard cipher. Now, I'm, I'm, we're not sure how to pronounce this. It's uh, first of all, you could just say SHA three or you know <laughs> SHA three, which you know is like saying AES instead of trying to remember how to spell Rheindahl, which actually I have a macro now in my brain, which spells it for me when I put my hands on the keyboard. <laughs> um, but K-E-C-C-A-K. Uh, K-E-C-C-A-K. -E the press release says it's Ketchak. Or Ketchak. Ketchak. And that's, Ketchak. What I've, that's, that's what I've seen is Catch, C-A-T-C-H, phonetically again, C-A-T-C-H, and then A-C-K, Ketchak, which looks good enough to me. Anyway, so a team of cryptographers chose this. Um, it is very, very fast. Um, in their work, they're getting um, a byte of hash for every 12 and a half cycles uh, on an Intel Core 2 CPU. But it also is very um, friendly to hardware implementations, which are able to run it even faster um and i have not looked at it deeply yet i think that i probably will because you know we've talked about other hashes and this is going to be at some point adopted but as we said last week there doesn't seem to be any hurry towards it because this was started um what eight years ago in 04 when we believed that aes2 might have some long-term problems. So the NIST decided to be ahead of the game this time and have a replacement hash ready. And it turns out SHA-2, the, the SHA-2 family of hashes, like SHA-512, for example, that we were talking about last week, 
is still holding up very well and seems plenty strong. Anyway, uh, Wikipedia wrote, Ketchak uses the sponge construction in which message blocks are XORed into the initial bits of the state, which is then invertibly permuted. <laughs> in its largest instance, the state consists of a 5 by 5 array of 64-bit words, so 1,600 bits total. Reduced versions of the algorithm are defined for smaller power of two word sizes down to one bit, which would give us 25 bits of total state since we have a 5 by 5 array of bit sizes. So 5 by 5 obviously is 25, and if we had a one-bit thing, that'd be kind of cool to have a one-bit hash. i got to look at that. Anyway, while smaller state sizes can be used to test of course, I guess it wouldn't be hard to guess which the hash was. Anyway, uh, while smaller state sizes can be used to test cryptanalytic crypt attacks, intermediate state sizes, for example, a, a word size of four or 100 bits or uh, with a, a four with 100 bits of state or, or a word size of 32 with 800 bits also provide practical lightweight, lightweight alternatives. So what all that means is that... We have a, a new hashing standard whose, whose word size is dynamically variable. And what, what excites people about this is that it is extremely different from the existing SHA-2 family. So the cryptographers like that because they explain if it turns out that the SHA-2 family do develop some sort of problems or that is we learn something about them that we don't now know that weakens them this this ketchak which will be which is now this uh been awarded sha3 status it's so different that any problems sha2 has sha3 absolutely will not have so anyway that's our news for the week um uh, we now have a next generation hash standard. Um, the feeling is there's no big hurry to implement it. I'm sure people will do hardware implementations. There will be reference software implementations in all the various languages so you could choose whatever you like. And perhaps because it is, fa it is faster than SHA-2, if there's some reason, for example, in a closed system where you're the only one who is using the SHA-3 results, you might just go ahead and choose to use it, where, you know, its, its speed or its scalability are of use to you. Um, whereas, for example, SHA and the existing SHA-2 family had the advantage of already existing universal adoption and so, for example, you could send somebody a file and say, you know, the SHA-512 hash of this is the following, and they're able to reproduce that, and you know that they're able to do that. Whereas right now, we have, you know, zero adoption level of the, of the successor, but we have chosen it. Um, so uh, that's cool. You know, I thought the other thing I found interesting in the, their description of this, they said, it seems unlikely, the difference in design and implementation from SHA-2 means that it seems unlikely that any attack 
that attacks SHA-2 would then be useful attacking SHA-3. So they intentionally chose something that deviates sufficiently from SHA-2 that one attack couldn't theoretically attack both. Somebody would have to come up with two different ways of attacking, which is clever. And and when we discuss it, as I imagine we will at some point, it will doubtless seem like, like, like serious propeller head level technology, but to the cryptographers, what they really like about it is that it's extremely simple. That is, they they think of it as extremely cryptanalyzical. So so it's not like it's some like random bizarre you know mess that might have unexpected behavior which isn't obvious on its surface. Instead, it is an extremely transparent, clear construction, which makes the um, uh, cryptographers very comfortable that, that they can see what it's doing. They understand uh, how it works and, and, and why, and they're able then to, to, you know, to represent that it looks like it's going to be very secure. So, um, anyway, we have our next generation hash. We don't need it, <laughs> but but we do have it. Yay. And um, I, n- nothing came onto my radar um, in the security space besides that this week. I'm sure I could have dug around and found some things, but there wasn't anything that seemed very important. So uh, that's all I have on that side. You know what? It's okay. And I... <laughs> Doesn't have to have an hour's worth of tech news every day, every week. In key, in keeping with that spirit, I thought I would. I mean, I know all of our listeners know about uh, Spinrite and how it operates and and what it does. So I thought I would just share a nice tweet that I saw come through my feed. Someone whose handle is Talk Hard T A L K underscore Hard uh, tweeted. My main hard drive crashed in the middle of the night! Exclamation point. Thank God for Spinrite and at SGGRC, three exclamation points, recovered the entire 1.5 terabyte drive OS and all. So thanks for sharing that, Talk Hard. (laughs) Hey, you're a man. Yes. (laughs) Does Jenny ever say, what am I going to get Steve for Christmas or his birthday? Geeks are hard to shop for. My my first advice to somebody who's buying a gift for a geek is do not get them gadgets or geek stuff or technology stuff because they know what they want and they will get it for themselves. Already did. Already did. <laughs> so, and you you just it's only a loser, you know? It's just a loser. It, it, so my thinking is if you're going to go shopping for a geek, you should get them something they wouldn't get for themselves. They may not even know about and uh, that's why we want to, we welcome a new sponsor to our uh, network, Bespoke Post, at bespoke b e s p o k e post dot com. It is a subscription gift service. Although you could also uh, oh. buy buy one at a time. Thank God it's not a sweater. I have so many. No, sweaters, no, you'll love this. It's not that, a sweater. That's all, that's all Mom know, knows to get me. No, like, tell Mom, Mom about this. California. You get a hand picked box of awesome each month. How about that? <laughs> And what's great about them, they're all different. They're all different. So there was a coffee box, and I think you would agree that the coffee box is perfect. It comes with the Aerobee AeroPress, a hand burr grinder, 
little hamburger grinder and some carefully selected beans. And so this is a way to introduce the gentleman in your life to something extraordinary in terms of coffee. Sometimes it's socks and shoes. Sometimes it's, well, look what they sent me a box. In fact, I'm going to start getting these boxes, so I'll share them with you as they come. This is the bespoke post that came the other day. And uh, it's really cool. This month, we bring you the lost art of the perfect shave. That's why I say it's a male thing. I guess some of these, of course, would be fine for women, but mostly it's really designed for men. This glorious male tradition once passed down from father to son has been overlooked. That's true. I didn't really teach my son as I should have. Today, we start anew and pass it on to you. It comes with a, a shaving supplies. This is so cool. A badger hair shaving brush. It says it's the single most important routine item in your new wow. routine look at this yeah. and a little stand yeah that's, isn't that sweet yeah uh, uh the combination of hot water mixing with cream on this perfectly bristled brush delivers a thick lather that's impossible to get with your fingers alone i didn't even know this see i've been using shaving cream what a fool what a fool <laughs> and now a new morning ritual after showering rub a small amount of pre-shave oil onto your skin to smooth the razor glide so it comes with a little bit of this pre-shave oil that smooths the glide. Then toss out your canned shaving goop. E-Shave's award-winning glycerin shave cream helps mm. lubricate and hydrate your skin to avoid those dreaded razor bumps. Lightly wet your brush and apply a dime-sized dollop of cream. No need to use more. Mm. Oh, that smells good. Manly. Not, you know, it's not, uh, not uh, perfumey. Uh, lightly wet your brush, apply dice, no need to use more. Skim the brush across your face and neck and up and down motions to gently exfoliate and lift your whiskers to their maximum length. Sh say, shave with the grain after you rinse your face with cold water to close your pores, pat dry, and apply the fine aftershave soother. Isn't this cool? It comes in a Macanudo box. I don't know if all of them come in the Macanudo boxes, but that's kind of cool just by itself. No Macanudos inside because, well, cigar smoking is... Not a good way to endear yourself to the lovely ladies in your life, but um, I think it's kind of fun. If you're interested, visit bespokepost.com slash twit. That's the uh, website. $45 a box, but they have gift subscriptions for one month, three months, six months, $270 for half a year. Three months is $135. Bespokepost.com slash twit will get you 20% off your first box. So a Very new cool. spot. I know. I thought this would be kind of fun. We always do the yeah. technology stuff. But what about a gift for a geek that's not technology? So it's... That you don't have to charge. Yeah. Nothing to plug in. And uh, you can see what the different boxes are if you visit the website. Bespoke. B-E-S-P-O-K-E post. P-O-S-T dot com. And then slash twit to get the 20% off. Some cool stuff. Really cool. I just love this idea. Here's an al ooh, ooh, I don't know. You'd have to be over 21 for February's box. It's called Alchemy. And it comes with some bullet bourbon, a little Agnostura bitters, a, a citrus juicer, a little... Oh, this is cool. I want this one. <laughs> wow. This, anyway, I thought it'd be kind of fun to have a new sponsor that does something a little bit different from uh, what we're used to. All right. Now, let's talk about, I'm putting my box away. Let's talk about near-field <laughs> communications. Okay, so um, probably the best way to introduce this is 
to uh, to summarize a, a bit of the dark side. Um, I mentioned Charlie Miller at the top of the show. Um, the title of his talk, which he gave at the recent Black Hat uh, 2012 conference a few months back, was "Don't stand so close to me." <laughs> and now, <laughs> I don't think this is what Sting was thinking about when he sang that song. But all right, now an analysis of the NFC attack surface. And I should preface this by saying what what Charlie looked at, to his credit, is the, the current state of implementation. So, so I'm largely going to talk about the, the technology of NFC because that's where we are today. But there's nothing fundamentally insecure about NFC as we have seen so many times it's the way it was implemented which is the problem now having said that there's as our listeners know there's a fundamental uh tension i guess maybe the best way to put it anytime you have radio because you have you know variations in distance we've got you know famous uses of Pringles potato chip cans to create focused beam Wi-Fi that, that you know, allows much greater ranges than people were anticipating. So, so, so the idea of something wireless immediately creates some tension, which, which we need to do the right thing with. Um, but so what in, in, in the preview before his talk, Charlie put together a, a couple paragraphs. He said, near field, to sort of tease uh, his presentation, he said, near field communication, NFC, has been used in mobile devices in some countries for a while and is now emerging on devices in use in the United States. This technology allows NFC-enabled devices to communicate with each other within close range, typically a few centimeters. It is being rolled out as a way to make payments by using the mobile device to communicate credit card information to an NFC-enabled terminal. It is a new, cool technology. But, as with the introduction of any new technology, the question must be asked what kind of impact the inclusion of this new technology has on the attack surface of mobile devices. In this paper, we explore this question by introducing NFC and its associated protocols. Next, we describe how to fuzz the NFC protocol stack for two devices as well as our results. Then we see for these devices what software is built on top of the NFC stack. It turns out that through NFC, using technologies like Android's Beam or NDEF content sharing, which I'll define and explain later, one can make some phones parse images, videos, contacts, office documents, even open up web pages in the browser, all without user interaction. In some cases, it is even possible to completely take over control of the phone via NFC, stealing photos, contacts, 
even sending text messages and making phone calls. So the next time you present your phone to pay for your cab, be aware you might have just gotten owned. So that was the introduction. That's de um, depressing. I, I have higher <laughs> hopes for this. It really Wasn't is. that the idea, though, that this is an RFID with a near field, with a very limited range? Yes. <clears throat> so that, that is exactly what it is. The, probably the way to characterize this best is to think of this as, as almost contact where you're using radio to replace actual connections. Um, probably many of us have seen, you know, traditional smart cards where on the back side of the card or sometimes on the front, there's a little sort of a pad of, of gold, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> of gold contacts. And so you slide your card into a reader um, and it comes into contact with those um, contacts on the card. Well, contacts are problematical in engineering terms. They're actually expensive. Um, it's one of the reasons, for example, that we're seeing a movement towards serial devices rather than parallel devices. Original hard drives were, you know, the, 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 the so-called parallel ATA, the PATA, New drives are serial ATA, SATA, S-A-T-A, because, because even though parallel would allow you to move more data across channels in parallel, it turns out that the, our technology has gotten so fast that interconnection ends up being a greater problem than speed. And even the, the PCI bus is, is, a, is a serial bus rather than a, a, than a largely parallel bus as the original uh, PC buses were. So, so this is a step, sort of one step further to remove the electrical contacts from the interface and just do it over radio. And as exactly as you said, Leo, RFID was the precursor technology for, for this kind of application space. Yet NFC is deliberately designed for much shorter range. Um, when, when I drive through the toll road transponder. I've got the little transponder in my window. That's an RFID transponder that is being read at a distance of, what, maybe two or three meters from my car windshield. Um, and, you know, and many people are, are familiar with those toll road style transponders. Um, the, the range for near field is... Um, is on the order of an inch, uh, 2.54 centimeters. So that's like two and a half centimeters is one inch. And, and even in Charlie's paper, he talks about having experimented with this. And in the real world, the maximum range is, he says, two to three centimeters. So that's right in this like one inch region. The term near field comes from the original expression of, of the way electromagnetic radiation radiates. Um, the, the traditional radio that we're used to uh, operates in what's called the far field. 
Um, this was all laid out back in the in the mid 1800s in the 1860s by a Scottish physicist and mathematician named James Maxwell. The so-called Maxwell's equations, which are really <laughs> they're hairy partial differential equations, which describe how electromagnetic propagation works. It turns out that it there is a there there are different properties of of propagation which apply when you are within only a few wavelengths of the of the radiating surface the antenna as opposed to when you are many many wavelengths away one way to think of it is that if you're really far away from an antenna even though that antenna has a physical size it looks more like a theoretical point source to you so that so that you know the wave fronts are 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 coming more in, in a coherent fashion but when you're very close then you're able to you're able to um to sort of feel the physical distribution over the 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 span of the antenna so so there's a very different set of properties between near field and far field and and this involves a complex interaction between electrostatic fields involving charges and electromagnetic fields involving a magnetic field so um if we can to sort of like place this on the spectrum of things um near field operates at a relatively low frequency it's right in the middle of the shortwave band you'll remember from your licensing leo that shortwave is between about 3 and 30 megahertz and the near field spec and all of this has been ratified and unified there's an nfc forum that maintains the specifications it's about 160 companies that are now members and and you know signed on to support NFC compatible stuff, whether it's phones or or passive uh, um, passive tags, you know NFC tags or whatever. But but there's a, a a good set of unifying standards to keep everybody talking on the same, literally on the same frequency, but also with compatible protocols. So NFC. It's just around, about right in the middle of the shortwave band, which runs between 3 and 30 megahertz. It's at 13.56 megahertz. By comparison, for example, Bluetooth is, is around 2,400 megahertz, which also is 2.4 gigahertz. Um, Wi-Fi is, is a, around the same place as Bluetooth and also at double that at about, at about 5 gigahertz. Um, so, um, of course, Wi-Fi was designed to replace LAN wiring. Bluetooth was designed to replace cell phone cables. And similarly, NFC was designed to replace sort of the existing contact smart cards. Um, so the, the technology involves a... A, a, an, a coil antenna, some sort of like a, a printed coil, and typically one chip over on the on the tag side. You can have in 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 the the way near field functions, 
there's normally a master and a slave. The master being the the controlling party in this two-party communication. Nearfield is always a one-to-one pairing that, that is a one-to-one relationship. There's nothing, for example, like a LAN where you have multiple devices all communicating uh, at once, nor even in Bluetooth where you have the so-called PAN, the personal area network. In in near field, again, the way to think about this is it's it's they tried to design it so that it was very much like having a smart card with contacts, but we've removed the contacts. So everything about this is is designed to be like, you know, in physical proximity, but not an electrical connection. Instead, it's a, it's a short distance radiation connection. So, for example, they have this notion of a, they call them in the forum, a, uh, and in, formally defined in the spec, they call it a smart poster, where at some point in the future, there may be a poster hanging up on a wall, and there will be the sort of a, the, the near field logo, which people over time will get to recognize, sort of a stylized, sort of a, a stylized end that looks a little bit like a lightning bolt. And that will be your cue that underneath that N on the poster is, a, is an NFC transponder. So it has no batteries. It just sits there waiting to to receive power from someone's cell phone typically so you would you would you know essentially touch your cell phone to the poster you don't actually have to physically touch it but it's just sort of easier because you got to get about that close to it and the the field the the radiated field from the cell phone's near field master essentially powers up the chip in the transponder. And so this 13.56 megahertz frequency provides power to the chip. The chip then modulates the 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 power in its coil to essentially put a load on the transmitter. So the transmitter can sense that it's being loaded down by because it, its magnetic field has coupled with the magnetic field of the transponder in the poster. And by altering the load that the transponder puts on its own coil, the transmitter is able to sense that and, and they're able to communicate. Communication can be bidirectional and it can be simultaneous and there is in the specification a means for dealing with collision. So if, for example, if there was, I don't know how, I mean, collision is not something you would encounter often because the distance of, of this whole system's operating is, is so short. But, but, they, but they do have collision avoidance um, approaches um, in cases where you had two transponders too close to each other. So... The first mode of operation is that, where you have an energizer and a a passive source of information, essentially. And when energized, the passive source of information gives up what it's got, whatever it might be. And, for example, um, in the case of a poster, in this 
in the so-called NFC poster spec, you receive a little burst of information, um, which actually moves at a pretty good rate with a with a 13.56 megahertz carrier, the information is set at one 128th of that, which of course we know is two to the seven. So that's a nice power of two, which means that the, the tag is able to clock its data slaved off of the receiving signal. So it's sort of a self-clocking uh, format, which is is good for making these these tags passive and non-battery powered and very inexpensive. But for example, when it's energized, the the tag actually comes up and is in an idle state, and then there's a command response protocol which has been defined. So this is all much more sophisticated, again, sort of next generation from what we have from the early RFID tags, which are just, which are much simpler and simply send back a, you know, a a static fixed serial number to identify themselves. Here, um, the tags are able to be field programmed. Um, The, you, you can actually buy paper rolls of these things that are sticky on one side that have for example, in one case, 144 bytes of non-volatile memory, which can be selectively uh, made read-only so that you, you can put data into this through the field and then set write-only bits on all or a portion of this data. And then, and then through a series of commands, you're able to later query the tag for its contents but have no permission to modify it. So um, so there's that first mode. Then there's also the mode where you have um, a device pretending to be a tag. That is, it might be an active device, which is not actually a passive tag, but it's pretending to be one. So the interaction is exactly the same as as in the case where it actually was a passive tag. And then in the third instance, you actually have a a peer-to-peer relationship where both devices are actively generating their own um, local, you know, near RF field. And then they come into physical proximity with each other and are able to initiate a handshake and an exchange data. So what do we do with this? Well, for one thing, we have, for example, this smart poster notion which is which is one of the of the predefined specifications where a burst of data might contain a title and a a URI that is a a URL style you know universal resource um string which we're used to from from uh internet URLs um, containing a reference to a web page or a, an, an image on the net or or some other sort of um, uh, uh, address that is accessible to to the device that is receiving the information. Um, in this poster format, they talk about a so-called action record, which where the de- where the device you are pinging querying um, suggests what action should be taken given the URI that it has sent you. And there's an icon record so that it might also present on the screen 
some sort of information that the user would um, be given and and take advantage of in order to sort of define what it's doing. So, um, so um, that's sort of the the whole scope of what near field is. It is it is short physical proximity on the order of an inch. Um, there have been some experiments where they have you know beamed power at a tag that was further away and and had the tag modulate their beamed field and receive it so we have some of the problems that we've got with you know anytime you you remove electrical contact and switch to radio you're you're making some assumptions about the radiated power of the thing that is powering the device and your ability to sense its loading down of your field so you know distance is somewhat fuzzy um but itself the the near field spec just says you know this is the frequency we operate at here's the protocol for the way these devices communicate and um and on top of that people can put whatever they want so one of the one of the other application areas aside from the so-called smart poster is this notion of using a a near field communication to bootstrap into a more potent communication for example you know we've talked about the the problems of establishing a um a um a passphrase on a Wi-Fi hotspot. If you've got a very complex, you know, crazy passphrase, it can be difficult to enter that into another device. If instead your your you know your um, Wi-Fi router came with a, a near field capable um, radio as part of it, then you could you could, for example, get your cell phone on to that Wi-Fi router just by tapping the cell phone against the router. And so the idea would be that in that application, they would exchange the information over a, a, a bandwidth constrained, because I, I don't know if I mentioned that it's, a, it's about 106 kilobits per second. So it is, is dramatically slower than, than you know, Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, but... The idea is, you know, I mean, that's that's all you, the the speed you would need for for a, a, a smart poster to to send you a, a URL or or to perform some simple you know credit transaction uh, with with a near field terminal. But the idea would be in in the mode where you have a Wi-Fi um, hotspot, um, you would you would tap two devices together. They would exchange information about the other much more capable protocols, which then um, come into service as you pull the devices apart. So, so they, the, and that's one of the, the, the frequently mentioned applications for this is, in fact, that, that's the way the Android Beam functions, is that you've got two Android phones which don't yet know about each other. You tap them together. They use NFC to, to, to handshake and agree upon crypto-level um, data which they then use to encrypt and exchange files over their Wi-Fi connection 
um, because they've got you know a much more capable Wi-Fi radio, capable of much higher bandwidth and much greater operating range. But you want that to also be secure. So by by briefly bringing them together, you essentially synchronize them, and then you pull them apart and establish the communication that way. So it's it's a cool technology, Leo. You know, the thing about Apple not adopting it, the only reason I was hoping they would adopt it is because it would obviously jumpstart it, right? Yes, yes. Um, but I think that it, it is new and nobody's using it yet. So, um, I mean, very few. Pete's uses it a few places like that. Pete's Coffee right. here in San Francisco. Yeah, and as I mentioned, I have it in my in my BlackBerry phone, which I've had for about a year and a That's half. Interesting. It's like, yeah. it's like okay, yeah. it's, it's nice that it's there. I have it turned off. Um, and that's one of the other things that, you know, Charlie's takeaway from his presentation was so. So so what Charlie found was not surprising. It's very much like the, the exact the same the same domain of problems that we've seen over and over, which is is that sometimes the people who are implementing this don't get all the details right. There's there's nothing fundamentally secure or insecure about near field communication it's just a it's a short range means of exchanging relatively low bandwidth that is 106 kilobits per second data between two devices one of which may be completely passive and have no none of its own local power source yet you can still write to it um in a in, in an eprom sort of fashion and read um, read back from it, but what what happened was some of the early implementations, um, for example, didn't require any user interaction, and that's one of his, that that's his main takeaway. Is yes, it's it's less convenient if you have to acknowledge a near field event, but so much more secure if you if the user is required to it to to accept. You know, to, to to like look first at at what is about to be done, and then say, okay, yeah, that looks like something I want to do. And some of these early implementations, for for the sake of oh, how sexy it is that you just bounce, you know, you 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 bump it up against a poster, or or you tap two devices together, and this all sort of happens by magic with, with no user no user intervention required. As we well know, the flip side of that is going to be problems with security. Um, so would you, well, I mean, I don't know. So you would use it if, if it were widely available or. So I would, I would have it off. I would have the radio off all the time. This is this, this parallels our recommendation for Bluetooth. You, you, you'll remember Leo that time I, I came up, uh, to do a show with you in Vancouver and, and it was on the whole Bluetooth security and pairing and uh, I had a an application I brought with me that showed us all the Bluetooth radios within range, and virtually everyone in the studio had their had their Bluetooth enabled on their phones. And this was at a time when Bluetooth was still not really solid. I mean, it's gotten a lot more secure, mostly because you know focus has been put on the, the security aspect. But there were ways early on that Bluetooth could be used to suck people's, you know, uh, address books and contact lists and calendars and things out of their phones. So, so 
back then, the advice was, if you don't know you're needing it, turn it off. Keep it off all the time. Um, because, well, and, and if nothing else, you're saving power. You're, because, you know, power is a scarce resource on a phone. So keep your Bluetooth off unless you're using it. And uh, now, of course, where we've got, a, for example, a law in California uh, uh, forbidding people from using their, their, you know, hold it in your hand handsets, there has been a, a huge jump up in, in Bluetooth being used to, to, um, to communicate with the little in-ear headsets. And so I imagine it's on a lot more often. What, what you definitely want to do is, um, is turn off pairing so that it's not sitting there, you know, broadcasting itself and, 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 and trying to hook up with every uh, Bluetooth radio in the area. But, but I would say the same, the same advice applies for near field on my BlackBerry. But, it, but, it's, a lot, but it's a lot shorter range, right? Yeah, oh, I mean, it is. It's one inch. It is going to be so absolutely not, difficult. Yeah, the attack surface, there's no magic that you could get to it from across the room, or is there? Well, that's the problem with radio is, right. you know, there's nothing, it doesn't absolutely drop off. It sort of fades out and it fades out, it fades right. out very quickly. But we've seen, we've seen situations where somebody with a focused antenna can beam power over a great, over a much larger distance and and establish a communicate a radio link where it wasn't expected where where the assumption was that you're okay i mean i remember you and i talking about bluetooth and like you know the the diff there was a there, there was a a window of opportunity in up in during bluetooth pairing where an eavesdropper had some advantage and you and i on this podcast years ago talked about going out in the middle of a parking lot <laughs> where where you could see I all could around find my you, car <laughs> but nobody was within you know 10 meters or 30 feet which right. is the nominal right. nominal range of bluetooth in order to do your pairing so that you didn't have to worry just during that brief moment anybody you know being able to eavesdrop on you so so this is a lot better. I think there's no question this is going to take hold. This is going to get traction. People are going to like it. Again, people like convenience. And so the convenience factor is going to, is going to drive this forward. You know, it, it creeps me out just because I, you know, and I'm sure it does some of our listeners, you know, because we've seen over and over and over how many ways there are for these things to go wrong. And that when faced with a choice between security and convenience initially the industry chooses convenience and it's only after it gets burned a few right. times it backs off and says oh okay may i guess we maybe have to ask before we do so, that so maybe apple's wise to wait uh, i i just i'd like to have it in the phone leave it off turn right. it off right. by default but, but have it there so that, I mean, it just seems like a bullet point missing. I don't know when they are going to do iPhone 6. Maybe that's already in the works. So they're, 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 they've, like, got it coming soon. But, boy, I mean, I think it's 40 million devices now have near field. And wow. you know, all, of the new, all of the new smartphones do except coming from Apple. Yeah. Yeah, certainly my uh, Samsung Galaxy S3, the Galaxy Nexus, um, have NFC. Um, I'm surprised your BlackBerry does. 
Yeah. Um, I wonder if, the, do you know if the Nexus 7 does? I don't remember seeing uh, it. I don't think it does. I don't think so. That's interesting because that's a tablet, not a phone. Right. Um, but still, you know. I mean, HTC I, I, does I, not I, apparently put it in their 1X. Huh. Um, the new Lumia 920 will, I know, the, for the Windows phone folks. So I don't know. I mean, I, that's a big number, but I think that it's not uh, certainly far from universal. Nexus well, 7 does, know, according to uh, Dadeo in our chat room. There are some beginnings of, of security protocols. One of the things that I encountered when I was looking at this is that RFID had absolutely no provision for encryption, but NFC does. So um, we're not seeing it deployed yet. But for example, I can I can imagine a a scenario where future laptops will have an you know an NFC logo on their like front surface down by the touchpad in front of the keyboard and and you might authenticate by bringing your phone to your laptop briefly. Oh yeah, wouldn't that be neat? Which is not a difficult yeah, exactly not a difficult thing to do and so we begin to get you know, aspects of multi-factor authentication that way too. I mean, I, 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 I think we're going to be seeing more of Nearfield in the future. I'm sure this is not the last podcast we'll be discussing it. This will, unfortunately, any few any future podcasts will be probably talking about what went wrong, rather than how it works. Right. <laughs> NFC, the horror, the horror. That'll be uh, some some future date, episode four seventy two, perhaps. Uh, you know, consider it saying in the chat room that according to Wikipedia, the distance record for deter- for detecting Bluetooth is 1.78 kilometers. So oh. <laughs> for a 30 foot, nominally 30 foot. So you're, you make uh-huh. the point exactly. That's, uh, you know, of course, it has to do inductance, which is more difficult than just a radio. Yes, that is true. It, it Because it is near field, the field falls off very quickly and... Um, but so does RFID, um, right? RFID is an inductance-based system, and that um, works great. You know, you go through a toll booth. That's I think it was 10 centimeters was the number I saw in the forum for like their maximum theoretical range. Um, and so what's that, about f- it's not far. four and a half inches 22, or so? 22, 22, 2.54 centimeters to the inch. Yeah. So whatever. Oh, yeah. So 20, wait. Uh, yeah, so I don't Divide know. Divide by four, two. Five, four or five inches. <laughs> yeah. Um, by the way, anyways, uh, correction, so, apparently the 1X does, HTC 1X does has NSC. Somebody has one in the chat room. says, uh, no, no, mine has see, it. I, I really do think it's, it's on its way. Majority I, I, of new I, smartphones, yeah. Yeah, I think a- Apple's decision not to include it, I don't understand it in the, in the iPhone 5, but um, I, I, this is going to be, I think this technology is going to take hold um, and we're going to see it used a lot. I'm not so sure I'm a fan of, you know, bumping it up against random posters because, you know, <laughs> that just that just seems... We have an NFC exciting. chip on the wall as you come into the tech, uh, the brick house. We have a yeah. tactile, and you tap it, and it'll check in on Foursquare. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, by the way, it doesn't do the check-in all the way. It just launches Foursquare, uh, says you're here, and then says, would you like to check in? Nice. Yeah, so and I think that's probably how most most people will implement it. That's using Samsung's uh, built-in software on the phone. 
Yeah, one thing we've not talked about are is yet is QR codes. That's also on my list of things to of like technology. That's the, comp, that's to, the kind of the competing technology for this. Yeah, and yeah. of course that's optical as opposed to radio. And uh, oh, that to me that seems a lot. Actually, I'm seeing QR codes all over the place oh, yeah. now. They're 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 beginning to get I, some traction. I saw a gravestone with one. <laughs> I, I kid you not. You are here. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it pulls up a page with his life story. I don't know. I, I didn't. I didn't take a picture of it. I should have. No kidding. What, yeah. Was it like et, Was it etched or? Yeah. Or, wow. <laughs> well, there's a geek. <laughs> well, that's also code. somebody who has a lot of faith in the technology. Like fifty years from now, are people going to be able to read QR codes yeah. on my headstone? Yeah, that's a very good point. <laughs> yeah. Steve Gibson is the explainer in chief. There's actually a um, a, a tumble log. WTF QR codes. Uh, and thanks to uh, Jesse in our chat room for this. Like, why is there a QR code here? <laughs> uh, and there's lots in this. It's, it's cute. It's like, let me see if. Uh, so people are putting them in it everywhere. Here's one um, yeah. fish on a grate. I guess that's one of the cool aspects of the QR code is because it is optical. It's even lower technology than a passive near field tag. And, you know, all phones now have cameras. All you need even is a camera the iPhone software. 5. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is a neat technology. I'll, I'll just remind our listeners that I just tweeted uh, the link to um, Charlie Miller's presentation, yes. which I think it's 40 some pages and lots of neat pictures and diagrams and technology. He spends much less time on on how it works than I just have, but um, and much more time on what he did to break it, which is, I guess it's, I mean, it's certainly of interest to our listeners and, and the topic of the podcast, but I just sort of shrug a little bit. It's like, yeah, well, it's not NFC's fault. It's that the people who did it, uh, you know, made some mistakes. And, and more importantly, Never put in a confirmation. You know, do you want to do this? Right. And and I think that's just crazy. But that's implementation specific. You could, I mean, right. for instance, use Google right. Wallet will give you a pin. So uh, that's something the app should do. But again, uh, well, maybe no, because if you don't do it in the app, if you don't require it, then you can hack it with silently. Right. Yeah. Steve Gibson is the explainer-in-chief at grc.com. That's where you'll find him. His Twitter handle is at sggrc. Uh, when you go to grc.com, pick up a copy of Spinrite. You never know when you might need it. It's a world, yeah, 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 yeah. It's the world's <laughs> best hard drive and maintenance and recovery utility. And, you know, it's Steve's bread and butter. So, yes, let's, let's everybody buy it. Uh, but there is a lot of free stuff there, including... 16 kilobit audio versions of this show for the bandwidth impaired and full transcriptions, which Steve pays for uh, at the Security Now pages there. And, of course, his show notes. We also have show notes on our wiki, thanks to some guy whose name we can never remember, but I will find it out for next week. We also have full uh, quality audio and video versions available on the Twit page, twit.tv slash SN. I'll also remind people that the, a side effect of Elaine's fantastic transcripts is the entire textual content of all 371, soon to be 372, podcasts are searchable. And when I encountered Charlie Miller's name, 
uh, on the Black Cat Conference, I thought, Charlie Miller, I'm sure we've talked about him. So I went over to grc.com slash SN. Uh, see? And yep. in search the right search field, yep. I put Charlie Miller and bang, there was, there was a complete chronology of all of our discussions of Charlie. So I was able to to remind myself exactly what it was that Charlie had done in the past and, and why he was so familiar to us and our listeners. So it's very handy if something comes up that you're you sort of think you remember hearing about you can just go over and quickly find the references to it it's really handy i love the internet speaking of which i found an abc article that says digital qr codes offer interactive cemetery experience funeral directors (laughs) are seeing an increase in demand for gravestone barcodes no kidding that is just that's crazy We do, <laughs> crazy. We do the show every Wednesday, 11 a.m. Pacific. That's 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 1800 UTC on twit.tv. Tune in live. We can interact through the chat room. Uh, and as you can see, I use the chat room a lot to uh, to flesh out the shows, so to speak. Yes, uh, and uh, grc.com slash feedback. We'll have a Q&A episode next week. Good. Let me know what's on your mind, what you're curious about, uh, any questions that the NFC technology brought to mind and we'll uh, we'll talk about them next week thank you steve thanks leo we'll see you next time on security now security now